decided early on that I was going to have to do something to kind of pull you into this talk a little bit. And so, two things. Men love competition. The other thing that, well, and there's one other thing that, that I thought of. I tried to think, what is it that men are really good at? Because I wanted to do something that you're good at. And a lot of times in the office when I'm talking to girls and boys, I'll ask them about their favorite class. And so I'll ask the boys, like, what is your favorite class in school? What do they all say? Say it. No, not that one. No. You've got to think in terms of, you know, the standard classes that people have to take. Math. They always say math, pretty much. Now, uh, some of them, and in general, as men, we like math. We're, we're, we're good with numbers, generally speaking, and, and some of us drift a little bit more towards science. I like science more than math, and some of you probably drift a little bit more towards literature and English. But in general, all of us are pretty good with math. And so I wanted to start with a math quiz. It's called the Fundamentals of Math. Now, don't get too worried. Um, I have children from the first grade to the 11th grade. And so I said, supply me with questions. And so that's what they did. They gave me questions, and I put them together under what I call the Fundamentals of Math. And you'll, you'll see that. Um, we've only got an hour and a half, and so I didn't know how much time to give you to do this. And so um, I had to kind of see, you know, what, how much it takes. I think when they, when they set up a new golf course, don't they bring in an expert golfer, and, and he plays, it and that sets the par or something, and then, it, and then you're either above par or below par, something like that. So I had my um, 11th grader do this, and... Um, he got almost a perfect score in 12 minutes. So I thought, you know what, we're, we're all two and three times his age, and so surely we could pull this off in 10 minutes. So this is a timed exam. I've got the timer up here. It's going to be 10 minutes. And would you pass out those pencils? A couple more things. When it gets right down to excuses, we're very good at excuses, and um, even down to like the lead on your pencil. You know, folks will say, well, my pencil lead was messed up, and so I actually went out of the way to buy a professional grade two pre-sharpened. <laughs> These were not sharpened by me. They come factory sharpened, so uh, I'm sure that'll be helpful. The other thing I want to just mention, use your resources, all your resources, whatever resources you have, use them. Um, I'm going to pass out the test. Now, don't, don't open them until I tell you to.
Okay, you can open to page one while I'm setting the clock. Everybody ready? Time's on. All right, time up. Take your quiz and pass it to someone beside you. Uh, to the right would be good or however, and then I'll read off the correct answers. That's, that's fine if you need to. It, uh, and if you don't have anybody that can do it, that's fine. Okay. Question number one, the answer is six. Number two, 278.1. Number three, 270. Number four, 10.27. Number five, two potential correct answers, one and an eighth or nine over eight. So on question four, it says round your answer to the nearest ten. Okay. So make that 10.3 if you want to do it that way. Um, and then number six, 96.8 inches squared. Five was one and an eighth, or nine over eight is fine. And then six is 96.8 inches squared. Jumping to number nine, 20 gallons. And number, number 10 has two answers. The compound interest earned is $1,617.89. And the total... <laughs> uh, whatever the question said. The total amount in the account should be $10,117.89. The first one was 1,617.89. Then the second was 10,117.89. Okay, um, just write at the top of each one of those uh, what the, the number is over eight. The number is... What's that? Oh, this. Yeah. Oh, 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 no, that's just thoughts to ponder. <laughs> you're, you're, you're way ahead of the curve. <laughs> so, one and an eighth, or nine over eight. Okay, so right at the top, then, uh, the number correct over the number eight. Count up, count up how many the person got right, or you got right, if you have your own. That's right. So put it over, eight's the total. Eight's 100% for, uh, for this quiz, since we don't have our full 10 questions. Okay, so did anybody here get 100%? Who, who was it? You? 
It was Will. Will got a hundred. He got eight, he got eight out of eight. Okay, so we'll put Will up here. Okay, what about, you know, and then it drops pretty fast because of how much they're worth. After that, if you got seven right, you got an 88, so technically you're down in here somewhere. So who got seven right? Total seven. Okay, how many people got six right? Do you raise your hand for yourself? Well, no, just shout out the name of the person that you did it for. So six puts us down to about 70. Okay, who, who was over here? Ben got it. We'll give him a 70. All right. Colin got it. Okay. Kurt? Clayton got it. Okay. Okay. We're still on uh, six. Six out of eight. Okay. Wow. And Lane? All right. Did... Oh, okay. Is that how you spelled I A N? Okay. I think we'll stop right there. I think we'll just stop right there. <laughs> okay, let, let's, uh, now that you're loosened up, let's sing a song. Um, go to the back of this Fundamentals of Math, and uh, you'll see the first one is the Fiery Furnace song. This is one that I sang growing up and, and just love this song. I love this story. And... Uh, so, anyway, let's sing it together. Maybe stand. It helps everybody sing better. Three fine young men in Babylon with faith and courage flow. Sir, 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 rules over all rules. 
Okay, you can have a seat. Um, I love that song because as a father, it just gives me... I can't hardly get this thing on here because it's so tight. I just... It makes my heart pound to think of having boys like that. Boys that could be hauled all the way down into Babylon and would stand up against a great king and against all of society and they would still do what's right. I think all of us want children like that. Now, we're going to come back to this math test. Um, there's probably a lot of debriefing we could do, but I want to do that at the end because there's actually probably more significance to this math test than what you were thinking at the, at the outset of it. And I'd like to come back and revisit it a bit and learn a few lessons from it. Now, as I get started... I want to make a few disclaimers about my credentials to be giving this talk. Um, number one, and I go to medical meetings all the time, and usually when people are introduced, they give the credentials of the person that's speaking so you know whether you can believe what they say or not. And so I feel a bit obligated to do that. Number one, I've never written a single book on being a father. I've never written a single testimony article on anything relating to be a father. I haven't written a journal article. Nothing. I've written nothing on being a father or marriage or any of that. I've only ever spoken at one other conference that had um, family as its focus, and that was 10 years ago, and they stopped having them after I was there. They never have had them again since then. Um, um, few more things. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a child psychologist. I'm not a specialist of any type. I'm not a social worker. 
Um, my experience as a dad has been very limited. I have eight children only. Um, and, and where I'm at in my parenting right now is in those, those very confusing middle years. And as I told uh, the brethren in my prayer group, uh, it wasn't hard at all to accept coming to this conference. Very incredibly difficult, to, difficult preparing to come to this conference because there is so much dust in the air right now in my life that I'm not actually sure at times what I know for certain. Um, and when I, the other thing that I have going against me is um, because I'm down the road a little bit as a dad and I have accumulated a significant number of failures, uh, you have a lot of insecurities trying to give a talk like this, and I, I'm experiencing that. Um, I have uh, my oldest child um, has walked away from the faith. Um, she's walked away from her church. She's walked away from her family. Um, she has pretty much thrown everything I tried to teach her behind her back. I have two boys. Um, the oldest one is 17, and he's struggling. Um, and he has not made a profession of faith. I trust that he will. Uh, he and I, I think, have a very good relationship, but I don't know which direction he's going to go. Um, and I have a 12-year-old boy that I'll probably be talking about some later on. Um, and so the only reason I can think of that I'm giving this talk is, is because I'm a dad and I agreed to come. That's about it. Um, and I do love the topic. I really, really want um, to raise up godly seed. So I've got a few objectives for this talk. Um, I want to review your responses. Thank you all very much for what you did and, and put into my little surveys. Very intriguing, and, and I want to share that with you as much as I can. It's all anonymous. I, I have no idea who wrote what, and, and you won't either. And so it's just to, it's there to bless us. Um, so I want to do that. Um, I want to look at what you're attempting to produce in the incubator of your home. And I refer to it as an incubator because an incubator is a place where you put something that's vulnerable and you keep it there until you then let it out into the harsher realities of life. And that's what our homes very much are like. They are like an incubator where there's, there are special protections, special environment for a certain period of time until that thing that's in there has to face the harsher realities of life. I want to identify a few of the unique aspects of being a dad. Why is it that, parent, that children need a dad? Wouldn't they do just as well with a pious, praying mother? Um, you know, we make a lot of mistakes as dad. Are we anything more than a liability? Um, I want to share some of the common weaknesses that, that are seen among men. And we'll look at those um, responses that you gave, gave me. Things that are potential stumbling blocks for our children. Now, we all have unique challenges, and that came out in these surveys that you gave me. There are some unique, slightly unique challenges, but the vast majority of things that we struggle with as men are uncomfortably common. So many times people come to see me, and they'll rattle off a whole list of symptoms, and then they often suggest a rare disease. And I, and I, and I will say, we must consider that as a possibility, but it's much more likely to be something common. And so there really aren't going to be any surprises. We're going to be focusing on common things that dads deal with. Um, I want to problem solve a little bit around those, 
those um, things and talk about some strategies to overcome maybe the odds and uh, challenges that face us. And then finally, I want to go back to the math test and, and talk about that and um, also just try to leave us with a few words of, of courage um, to faithfulness as dads. So I want to begin by looking at the things that you said you want to be the, the net effect of your fathering. So when you're all done, this is what you want your children to hopefully walk away with. And I didn't, I didn't read my readers, that's all, or bring my readers. That's part of also being at this stage of life. I'm, I'm between having good vision and bad vision. And, and it's not bad enough to remember to bring my glasses, so I, I, I forget them all the time. And then I'm finding myself in these odd situations. So it's probably not your writing. It's probably my ability to see at this point. Um, please describe in a few words or paragraph what you hope the net effect of your fathering is in the life of your children. To lead our children to give and connect their hearts to Jesus from a young age, to train them to be effective in reaching souls for Jesus. We determined that we wanted our children to be the way they should go. Sought to train them accordingly. I want my children to ex excel me. I want them to be more mature, more humble, more holy than I. I would like to live long enough to see them train their children more um, effectively than I have done. The glory of an old man is his children's children. That they might be, that they might be pointed to a better father, our heavenly father. My hope and prayer is that I will show them Jesus through my life and through biblical teaching and, and instruction at home. I want to be a father that my children feel safe and connected to. I desire that my children would love the Lord with all their heart and that they would be pillars in His kingdom, solid men and women of faith, committed to passing on the heritage of faith to their children responsible and balanced in their life skills, cherish, cherishing their relationship with their parents, and although they may live in different locations, uh, in the Lord's service. Above all, I desire that my children grow to seek and love Jesus with their whole heart. I want, I want to have my children's heart and through that relationship, humbly show them that the Lord can and will redeem their soul as He has redeemed mine. To model Jesus to them and cause them to crave an intimate relationship with Him. A life of discipline in the Word of God and their actions. Take personal responsibility for their actions. Compassion for others. Unselfish. Know Jesus is the only hope in everything in life and death. I hope my fathering will instill a desire in my children to live a holy life with an eternal perspective, choosing the higher road and being a steward of God's grace for the glory of God. I hope the result of my fathering is that my children will learn to live fulfilling lives as redeemed sons and daughters of the Lord. I hope they understand the love of our Heavenly Father and receive it because I have helped them to understand or perhaps more importantly because I have received and modeled it to them. In short, I hope they feel loved, and they love well. I want my children to desire to do what is right. I want them to have a love for God and a love for people. I want them to know the safety and security of a good relationship with authority. 
to love God and people, to prepare them for life and hardship, to train up God-fearing, Christ-honoring, Spirit-led men and women who portray biblical character and integrity and who are contributors to society for the good of others and the glory of God. I hope that through my daily life, they may experience the heart of God in relationships. That's what you all said you want uh, the effect or the fruit of your fathering to be. And I would say amen to, to all of that. Now, my uh, youngest son has a coop full of pigeons. They're homing pigeons, and he got them when they were just big enough to leave their mothers, and he created a coop for them, put them in the coop. He began feeding them, watering them, and then after a few weeks, he would open the door and let them out, and they would walk around, and then before long, they would fly around. And the day finally came when, when we put them in a little cage, and we put them in the trunk of the car, and we drove a half a mile away to the intersection of Tucker and Middle Road, and we took them out, and we opened up the, the door, and they flew out into the wide world. And we watched them fly. They flew, and they, be, they went up, and they did just big, higher and higher and higher circles. And then all of a sudden, they just headed for home. We jumped in the car, and we raced, uh, raced them home. But of course, they had beat us. Um, and, I, and as I think of what I want for my children... Um, there's so many things that I could have written and things that are important to me. I want them to be hard workers. I want them to be honest. Somebody said, I want them to be able to contribute to society. And I've told my children from little up, I want you to be part of society's solution. Everyone's contributing, it seems like, to its problem. I want you to be a solution for it. And so I'm raising you in this world so you understand the issues and I want you to be able to address them. I want them to be pure. I want them to be holy. I want them to be faith-filled. But as I try to summarize that all, I would just say this. I want them to know the way home. That's what I want. And when I speak of home, I'm speaking of the Father's house. I want them to know how to get home. Um, and as they grow up and they are dropped off, so to speak, whatever circumstances that they are in, I want them to, to know how to fly home. Um, the creator, when he made this homing pigeon, put this incredible ability in them to always know the way home. And, and that's what they do. They will always fly home. Now, that does not mean there aren't some real challenges for homing pigeons. One of the, one of the things we have to watch out for is, is smoke. So heavy, heavy smoke from the forest fires can disorient them a little bit. Another thing that can throw them off are raptors, so falcons and hawks and eagles, things that, that can kill pigeons. If they fly in among them while they're headed home, it can disorient them. And then the third thing that we have to really watch for is their nutrition. If you saw how much we feed them, you would think we were starving them to death. But it's very critical that they not be too fat because if they are fat, they cannot fly the 100, 200, 600 even miles to get home. But if you don't give them enough, they won't have the energy to get home. And so it's so critical for homing pigeons, what you feed them. I want, as a father, to have children who know the way home 
And secondly, I don't want to be a roadblock to them in any way as a father to be the stumbling block that keeps them from making it home. Now, none of us know the ultimate outcome of our children. None of, none of you know that. And I don't even know that. I don't know what the ultimate outcome of my oldest daughter is. I hope she knows the way home. That's what I hope. You know, every time I drop Levi's pigeons off, I always worry a little bit. I remember when I first took them 20 miles and they went up and they flew and they flew and they flew and then they landed on a rock, a high rock up on the, on the hill called Lizard Butte and I called Levi and Levi said, I don't think they're going to come home this time. They did. It took them a little longer, but they did get home. And you know, as, as a father, as, I'm, as my children are getting older and, and now they're taking the car and they're going into town or they're going off with the young people, I find myself wondering, is this the time that they won't come home? Will they make it home? And, and, and I find myself just crying out more and more to, to their Heavenly Father, Lord, I hope they know the way home and, and that I haven't done anything to hinder that. You know, there is, there's a lot we don't know about the prodigal's dad. We do know that he had failings um, because he was just a dad like all the rest of us and, and he had failings. And we know that his son made some horrible decisions about life, decisions that all of us would hate to see our children make. But when his sanity started to come back and the insanity started to recede, there were two things that that boy remembered. You know, you know what they were? The first one was the way home. He knew how to get back to where father was. I would say that was the first thing. And the second thing was is he remembered his father's heart. He thought within himself about how, how he, he knew his father treated even the servants in his household. And so he was very familiar with his father's heart. And I think it was, those two, it was that thing probably that drew him back home as well as the knowledge of how to get there. <clears throat> the way home and the Father's heart were the two things that he seemed to remember. Dads play a very critical role in the lives of their children. And that, that really brings us to the next part of, of this talk. Are dads really needed? And, and frankly... Dads are bumbling duffers a lot of times. And that's what raises this question. Are they actually needed? Because of, of um, the liability that it seems like we are. What is our role? And it seems to me like what society's answer is to that question is that dads are basically a liability. Um, they, um, they're, they're almost more of a problem than a blessing. I hear, I hear many women referring to the dad of a certain child as the baby daddy. And that's just the fellow that created the baby, maybe pays child support, but he's, he's gone. That's none of us, but that's just where uh, the world is at right now. Um, what does the Bible say about the purpose of dads as it relates to children? And I um, thoroughly enjoyed this morning's talk, and, and I think that, that Sam has really probably answered all these things much better. So please don't forget those. But I'm going to run through just a few points that, that dads are called to in Scripture um, as, as a part of, a, of, and you know all these already, but the first thing is, is you are called to rule your home well. Now, in fact, 
Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3 says that if we do not fulfill that role of a good ruler, then we're not fit for greater ministry. So this is, this is the first test of whether we're fit for, for, the, for the ministry. Whatever that is, is how we're doing in our home. Our homes are a proving ground, so to speak, of our ability to rule in a Christ-exalting way. That's what our homes are saying about us as dads. We are called to have our children in sub- subjection with all gravity. And, and as we heard today, there's, there's a couple of different ways to have your children in subjection. Um, but where it says subjection with all gravity, I, I didn't really know what that word meant so much, but it means venerableness. That means worthy of respect, reverence, honor. And so we are called to be dads that have our children in subjection in an honorable way, in a, in a respectful way, um, in a way that, that should promote adoration among those who are being ruled. Those, I think about um, all the scriptures that refer to good rulers and bad rulers. And, and one thing about good rulers is, is that those who are under them delight in their rule. And, and that's the way it should be in our homes. Our children should delight to be under our rule. It should be a kingdom that's ruled by justice and honesty and kindness and love. That should be the order of our kingdom that we rule our home uh, faithfulness. I think we should be ruling our homes in such a way that ultimately submission to Christ doesn't seem so foreign because they've been submitting to us. The second thing is we're called to restrain our children. Um, uh, one aspect of children that are in subjection is children that are restrained. Um, and, and we see this in 1 Samuel 3.13. It's a very sobering verse about Eli and his sons. You know exactly what it says. His sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. And so apparently Eli had some knowledge of what was going on with his sons and he didn't do anything about it. He didn't restrain them. Um, as fathers, I think we do this in conjunction with the, our wives, but we are to establish what the parameters are of what's acceptable in our home and what is not. Um, my wife is probably a lot like your wives. Um, she is a, an incredibly loving person, gentle and soft and kind, and it's very difficult for her to say no and then stick by it. So often I'll, I'll, I'll hear her say no, and then there's some type of a, uh, an assault made against the no, and pretty soon she's kind of hedging, and I, I have to pull her back sometimes and say, honey, say no and stick to it. And that's part of our role as dads is 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 identifying the parameters of our home and then lovingly sticking to those things and helping our wives to to lovingly say no. That's part of restraining our children. I don't know if Eli just didn't have the ability to do that or he didn't want to do that. or I, I don't know why he couldn't say no to vile behavior. We're called to correct our children. Um, you know, as our children enter this world, they are just quickly bent towards sin. And it's up to us dads to take that little sapling 
and just bend that thing back towards truth through loving correction. Um, I love the picture of David in the 23rd Psalm as he speaks about his good shepherd, his father. He said this, he said, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that's been a very challenging verse to me as a father to ask myself, is that really how my children view discipline that comes from me? Is, is my rod actually a comfort? And I think all of us know that have had older children that they don't delight in punishment. None of them like the rod. But, but I do want them to be able to say it was used, as they get older, at the right times, in the right amount. It was done with justice. It was deserved. Um, it was not done in anger. I was, I was restrained and I was corrected. And it was done with equity. I don't think I've always done it in equity. Um, another thing we're, do, we're called to is teaching, and that was mentioned uh, also today. Um, our wives are, are teaching all the time, but, but we are to be leading out in teaching. And um, that includes family devotions, teaching our children how to pray. Um, it's just something that's kind of interesting. Um, if you want to know how I pray, listen to how my children pray. It's so intriguing, and I've played with it a little bit. I'll start my prayers different ways for a while, and pretty soon I hear my children saying, starting out their prayers like that. Your children probably pray like you pray because you're teaching them to pray. Um, <clears throat> teaching them, and we are to feed them. You know, as I look around at the children that are here, they all look well-fed to me. And that's because all of you dads are going to work, you're making money, you're buying food, and you're feeding your children. But take away all of the natural chub that we see on them and ask the question, what would the children be looking like running around here right now if, if all they were was a product of the heavenly manna that I've been feeding them? Would they still look plump or would they look like little... Ethiopians. Um, it's up to us to feed them. Feed them heaven's manna. And we're called to model the teachings of Jesus. I think we've already come across that. But our children learn by observing our lives. How they ought to relate to authority. When I see a child that's struggling with authority, I want to know how, I'd be curious how the dad is relating to authority. Um, I tremble to even say that. How they... Um, they're learning from us how to forgive, how to love, how to treat their future wives, um, and the list could go on and on, how to give alms, how to lay down their, their lives. They're learning that from us. We are, like it or not, we are our children's reference point. Now, praise to the Lord, we're not their only reference point. They have a praying mother, they have a church community, they have other reference points but when they are young, without a doubt, we are their most significant reference point. They're looking to us predominantly. Um, so dads, I think, serve a critical role in the lives of their children, no matter what the world says about dads. And this is, this is only scratching the surface. Um, I like the fact that the Lord made it impossible to bring children into the world without a dad. It's required. 
They don't stay involved, uh, a lot of them, but it, it does take a dad to bring a child into the world. Dads have a lot of problems. And as I said before, um, as much as we might like a unique diagnosis, the, the uncomfortable truth is, is that we generally share things in common, um, the, the things we stumble over. We're not very spiritual at times. Uh, oftentimes, we're less spiritual than our wives, and that's something that young couples often have to get worked out. Um, we're easily distracted from the most important things to the things that we think are pressing in on us. We're lazy. We have our own failings. We drift. Um, and the question is, if the only path back to the father's house was the path that we, the dads, laid out for our children, would it actually get them there? And would they, would they be able to navigate that path? Um, what dads do or do not do with the issues in their life has huge impacts on their children. Um, you just think about um, Achan. Achan's issue was materialism, and he, he hid that under the, the, the tent, and it had, a, it had a terrible impact on his children. Um, Saul's issues seemingly were issues with authority. Follow Saul's family out a bit. Eli, as I already said, had this passive parenting type approach. And you see what happened to his children. Um, David uh, seems to have had issues with immorality and follow out the cost in David's um, children of his immorality. Um, and we could go through many, many other ones. I, I failed to mention Lot. Uh, Lot was a man, I don't know what he loved about Sodom, but ultimately it came at a huge cost to his children. Um, we play a very critical role in the lives of our children. You know, Matthew talks about how dads, even if they're evil, they know how to give good gifts to their children. So even if you're an unbeliever, you know how to give a good gift to your child. And, and he says, you know, if he, if he um, asks a, a piece of bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he asks a, a fish, would he put a snake in his hand? And I think all of us as dads know that that would be a traumatic thing. Imagine your child reaching out for a piece of bread and suddenly there's a, there's a snake in there or a rock in there. What would the implications of that be in the life of your child in terms of trusting you, loving you, um, wanting to follow in the way that you're going? Um, I think we could say it would be traumatic and it would just, it would violate so many, so many deep things of a child's heart to receive a snake or a rock. But, but what, are, what could those things be? And, and that's where I want to turn to, to these papers again and, and say, what are the issues? And, and I have gone through these and, and I identified you know, probably 20, 24 different themes that men struggle with. Um, and then I'm going to narrow it down to about um, four. I'm going to decide if I got the time to do this. It's three o'clock. Okay. I think, I think we can go through some of these at least. So just sit and listen. Listen for themes. Don't listen so much for what any one person wrote. Listen for themes. What are the common things that men struggle with? My attitude about helping out with the chores. More quality time with our children. A more fervent natural affection for my family. A greater awareness of times when I should say I'm sorry. The ability to be more gracious to those who've hurt me, a more patient spirit toward those who delay me. And that's a good one for me because I love being on time. A greater uh, abandonment of the spirit of vain glory. Um, lack of patience. 
um, focus on career work, my interest, um, screen time, um, something around family devotions. Discipline devotions, easy for me to start and yet not something, probably finish. Consistently uh, keep doing family, oh yeah, and it goes on, and not consistently keep doing family devotions. Priorities, I can become too focused on my business and to-do lists that I neglect things that are more important. Patience, these are things that, that you've put down as struggles, things that your children may have already stumbled on, things that your wife probably knows about and she's been praying they'd just be taken out of your life. Um, young children, failure to take time to do things with them. Older children, failure to take time to truly listen to them, to hear their hearts. Failure to consistently nurture them through focused discipleship. Overcommitments in my schedule. Um, unavailability, um, which causes frustration. A better relationship with my dad. Total victory over past addictions. Prioritizing family time over hobby time. Pride, addictive tendencies, cynicism, bitterness, procrastination. Um, letting my cup get empty like from last night. Not consistent in, in uh, pers personal reading. Uh, more consistent discipline and discipline of my children. I'm going to stop there. I think you're getting a bit of the flavor of, of what the men are saying. Now, as I looked at them and distilled them all down, I think that, that they could go into easily three different categories, maybe four. But the first category I put is, it's all about me. And so many of you mentioned selfishness, busyness. I'm not available enough. Um, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm interested in my things and so just the me problem of dads, it's all about me. A significant number of you indicated the um, distraction, I'll just call it the distraction of media. And it's something that my wife has, has lamented over me about. And that is that when my phone buzzes with a text, it doesn't matter whether we're eating or whether it's devotions or whatever, I just automatically go for it. And, and it, she, it, she laments over it. And I'm working on it, but I'm not 100% yet. The distraction of media, addiction to media, uh, news, and, and everything that relates to media, you men have said you're struggling with that as, as an issue in your home that needs to be dealt with. So me, media, and the third one is issues of morality. Whether that is, whether that is shame from your past, whether that is current addictions, whether that are tendencies that you have, it, it, is, it, it, it is a besetting sin of all men to some extent, this issue of where I am at morally. Now, um, there are other things that I'll just mention. Uh, one of them that came in close was anger, frustration. Um, multiple ones of you, including myself, uh, deal with that. Um, I'll just mention maybe a couple of more. There were some around family devotions. Um, I just kind of put that in with, with it's about me. Selfishness. Um, some put materialism. Um, wrong priorities. Um, 
uh, lack of a self or uh, just a, a low self-esteem, um, inability to communicate. There really wasn't anything in there that just shocked me. It was all just common stuff that guys deal with. But I just got done saying that these are the types of things that make us ineffective as fathers, and it could dis disorient our children and, and cause them to not know the way home, or even worse yet, not even want to go home because of the life that we've been living. Um, you know, when I, when, I see, um, when I see people in the office, and we're working through um, a set of symptoms, the first thing we have to I have to know is how do you diagnose something? So like if, 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 for instance, we're going after the diagnosis of the big me in, in my home, how would you diagnose that? If that was your problem, what would you, what would you think you would see? And, and just shout out some of the ways, we would, what would we see in a dad that was all about me? He's impatient. Poor attitude. Yeah, I, you just interrupted my plans. Okay. Now the next thing that that I think about is is what do you see as the disease progresses? So if it's left unchecked, how does it advance? It doesn't just stay with a runny nose. So it's going to advance to something. What are the late stages of the disease? What happens if, if a dad just continues on being all about me? Emotionally disconnected from their family. Just angry, yeah. Okay. The, the next obvious question is, how do you treat this thing? If you don't like it and you want it to go away, what's the treatment for it? You make the diagnosis, I am the biggest problem in my child rearing. How do we deal with it? How would you get rid of the me thing? Um, back to what Sam said this morning. Um, if you want a 90, what was it, 95 or 98% cure rate, then you get someone to hold you accountable for those things. And so if, if any of us are, if that is the issue, we might need someone to say, how are you doing in your marriage and in your home with the problem of the big you? Um, we could go into, into media. We could go into the issues of morality and say, what do these look like? What do they progress to and how do you treat them? I don't think we have the time to do that um, right now, but, but think about those things. What we want is we want our children equipped for, for success, um, spiritual success. Now, down the road from me lives a boy by the name of Jake DeRuder. Jake's dad is a Dutchman that was a dairyman in California, and he struck it very rich in the dairy business, and then he came up to Idaho and started buying up farms, a bunch of them. He built a gorgeous house down by the Snake River. It has probably a half of a mile long paved driveway with trees on both sides. I see it every day going to work down by the river. And 
I would say that Jake was pretty much raised with a golden spoon in his mouth. He has everything that is needed to be absolutely successful in terms of riches. When his dad dies, he's going to inherit all that wealth. Um, Jake drives a, a Tesla up and down our road. Um, and, and I would just say that his dad has paved the road to riches very well. If Jake dies a poor man, Jake's going to have nobody but himself to blame because his dad has made it as much possible as a, as a dad can to be rich. Now, we sing that song sometimes, um, working the road, uh, I'm working the road, uh, working the road, uh, helping the weak and blind. I want to smooth out the road that leads to heaven's abode and make it easy for those behind. It's fun to sing. It's got very bad uh, kingdom theology in it because the reality of it is it's not going to be easy for anybody to get to heaven because it's a fight between life and death and the only way you can get to heaven is to die and your children are going to have to die. And so I don't know of any easy way to die, but I, I want to make it easier for them to die by showing them how to die myself. I don't want to be the cause of their demise. Um, I don't want my children going down the road to hell while they're pointing their finger at me as the reason for going. Um, there are some gifts that we can give to our children, and I'm going to just give you a few of them. The first one, there's no surprises here. Number one is the gift of time. Our children are begging for our time and attention. And, and so often we give them a stone as we rush about our busy lives. Um, this year at Levi's birthday, as it was coming, my wife started nudging me and she said, Troy, you really need to do something special for Levi's birthday this year. He's 12. And, and I probably put it off for a few days. I don't know how many times she had to nudge me to do it, but eventually... In the last three minutes before I went to work one day, I sat down at the computer, pulled up a Word document, and I started typing. Dear Levi, this year for your birthday, um, we're going to head out before the sun comes up. We're going down to Homedale to the bowling alley where there's a, where there's a cafe, and we're going to get whatever we want. It's going to be a man-sized meal. And um, after we're done eating, we're going to go across the street. We're going to get our fishing licenses, get some bait and any tackle that you want. And then we're going to put the kayaks in the river there at the Snake River. And we're going to, oh, and before that, I said, then we're going to go over to Albertsons and we're going to buy all the junk food that you want. And then we're going to get in the kayaks and we're going to go all the way down the Snake River to the town of Adrian. We'll spend the whole day on the river uh, just fishing, drinking soda, uh, swimming if we want to. And we probably won't be back till five o'clock or something and signed it off, threw it at him and ran out the door. I was in no wise prepared for what was going to happen when I got home that night because he was waiting for me, and he strutted up to me, and he says, you know what, Dad? I memorized it. And uh, I don't know if the impact of that um, would hit you like it did me, but I went to bed very troubled that night because I thought, you know what? That was such a rare thing. He committed the whole thing to memory. And then I started to think about the places that I've gone to preach and, and the conferences that I've been at, and things like that, and I thought to myself, nobody has ever memorized anything about the time that I've given them that I know of, and yet my son did, and we had a fantastic time on the river, and we need to have a whole bunch more of them, um, but our children are craving, our, my children are craving my time, and I'm under a lot of pressure. I have a very demanding job. Um, I have lots of meetings to plan, 
and I've got sermons to plan and try to run a little congregation and, and my children just get forgotten time and time again. We can do it, and if your wife is nudging you, absolutely listen to her. She's, she's concerned about that. The gift of repentance. Uh, give the gift of repentance uh, liberally to your children. We already heard that this morning. I want to just expand upon that. Years ago, I was working with my oldest son in the hayfield when I lost my temper. Um, I don't exactly know even what happened. I just know I got mad um, over something. And almost immediately, the Holy Spirit arrested me like that and said, I'm not letting go until you do something about that. And, and so I, I turned to Drew and I said, Son, I am, I am sorry for losing my temper. I should not have done that. That is no way for a dad to act. And, and um, I don't want you to grow up to be a, you know, a dad like that. And, and for whatever reason, I just said, you know what, you're going to have to pray over me. And I fell to my knees in the alfalfa field, and he prayed a beautiful prayer over me as his dad that I could get victory over, over my, my temper. And it was a beautiful, I've, I don't remember exactly what he said, I just know it was a beautiful prayer for me. I've had to work on that one a lot, just frustration. Um, and, and how that, I, I wish I could say that that fixed me. It didn't fix me. Uh, two weeks ago, um, I walked out. Uh, my, my, my youngest son had been in an argument with his sister at the breakfast table about how good he was at taking care of his pets. And she wasn't any good at taking care of, of, of her pets. And, and I was out there mowing, and I got to thinking, you know, I ought to check and see if his pigeons have water. And I looked in there, and there wasn't a drop of water on a hot day. And I was mad. And I walked into the house, and I let him have it. Too loud, too long, and not very nice. And then I got on my phone, and I called up one of my neighbors, and I said, like, what do you do with a boy that's so cruel he would not even give water to his birds on a hot day. And he thought about it. He's a wise old man there, a local man. He thought about it. He said, well, I know what I would do. He says, no food, no water for a day. All right. And I told him, I said, I wonder, should it, should it be in the pigeon pen? Should I put him in the bird pen? He said, nah, he didn't know about that. And so I was starting to cool down. I, I cooled down a lot more, actually. And then um, I set him down and I said, and I hate cruelty. I just hate cruelty to, to the weak. I, I don't care if it's people, animals, anything. I just despise it. And, and that was somewhat behind this. But I told him, I said, on Monday, September the 12th, we were getting ready to go away for the weekend. So on Monday, September the 12th, no food, no water from sunup till sundown. You have got to learn the lesson of compassion. And I said, those birds can't get out. They can't do anything. They're completely helpless. They're completely dependent on you. And you let them down. And so you're going to have to suffer for a day. And he had his jaw set tight. And he was looking at me like that, like, you're not going to make me cry. And of course, the Holy Spirit was, as you can well imagine, talking to me, just chattering in the background, frantically. And so I went on to say this, but Levi... Um, I'm, you're not going to do it by yourself. I'm going to be doing it with you. And before I could even tell him why, he began to cry, just weep. 
And I told him for two reasons. I said, I'm going to hate to see you suffer. And secondly, I need to learn the lesson of kindness, and I need to be a better dad. And so when September the, the 12th came, we got up, and it was hot, and, um, and when the sun came up, till the sun come down, there was no food and no water. And it was a long, hot, miserable day. But you know what we did all day long? We encouraged each other. We encouraged, he encouraged me. At times, he was doing better than me, and, and he would kind of give me a little courage, Dad, to hang in there till the sun goes down. And, and we did it. And, and the goal was that he learned the lesson of compassion, and I learned to be a better dad. Repent. Uh, I'm, I have to do it frequently, but, but repenting in front of your children is, is a good thing. Open your ears and your heart. If you don't think you have a reason to repent, um, the Lord will speak that to you. When you're told about the next lesson, don't count on it coming sugar-coated. That's, that's how mine are coming. I, I have to, the Lord knows I have to get mine frontally. And that's how they come to me, is like that. And so I'm, I'm, I've got a lot, lot to do. Um, listen to the Holy Spirit. He will correct you and he will tell you where you need to repent if you're listening. Another one is the, the gift of prayer. Um, I, I want to just mention that I think our prayers as fathers need to be deepening in intensity as time goes on. Um, and when you're young right now, it's a little difficult to pray for your children. It will get easier as they get older. You will be driven to your knees to pray for them. Um, but um, think about backing up your prayers with fasting. Um, I've struggled to pray with a level of intensity that I need to pray for my children. And so I decided some time ago that I need to couple it with fasting. But the bigger problem was, what day do I fast on? Well, the Sabbath, or the, the, the Lord's Day is a feast day. I, I didn't want to do it then. That's, that's for feasting. It always has been. In the early church, even, it was a feast day. I didn't want to do it then. I can't do it Monday, well, I can't do it Tuesday through Friday, because those are my work days, and I've got to be sharp at work. And then the Lord said, how about Monday? Well, you know what the problem with Monday is? It's my day off work. I love my Mondays. I pack those Mondays full from sunup until sundown with projects. I love projects. And I like to fly into those projects and get them all done if I can. And so he said, how about Monday? And I resisted that until he won out on that. And you know, it's been an interesting thing to give him Monday. Um, it's the day that I want to be the strongest. I want to be doing my things the most. And now it's different. I'm weak on Mondays. And I, I cannot do what I would like to do. And I feel about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I feel very tired. And it forces me back into the house. And I have to be with my... Now, I have to guard against grumpiness because I also get grumpy when I fast. And i gotta, I got to work against that. But it's been very, very good for me to have a day where I pray for my children in my weakness while my projects are going undone to some extent. Um, think about the possibility of giving your children a greater gift of prayer, backing it up with fasting. And then the gift of authentic faith. And I put down, work out your own hypocrisy with fear and trembling. Um, 
children are so disoriented by hypocrisy when they see us being one man one place and another man another place it is confusing the church i grew up in it was wrong to have a television wrong to have a radio wrong to go to the movies most people lived by that some people didn't and it was very disorienting for their children to have to hustle off the television when someone was coming around um, that is not giving them the gift of authentic faith. Um, I don't know, I, I do not know who you men are when you are not here. But I know who does. And that's your children. They know, and they know me. They know the real me. That's the other person that you find in the soul room is the real you. Um, our children will choose their own way if they want to walk in the footsteps of faith. It's up to us to make sure they know the way back to the Father's house and that we are not a stumbling block in the road. Now, I'm almost out of time. Let's revisit the math test. How did you like being taken by surprise? Uh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't know you were going to be taking a math test, did you? Does anybody, can you think of anything that relates to child rearing in, in this, this whole process of taking a test? You didn't get a lot of time to prepare, did you? It just happened out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming. What about those? Uh, how, did you feel some confidence as you started out? I mean, who couldn't do that first? <laughs> some of those earlier tests were pretty easy, right? The math, simple division, uh, some things like that. And that's, that's kind of how I found parenting. When, when my children were little, they had little things and they were kind of frustrating, but it was, it was fairly basic math. And we got through them. Um, but but it, it did start to change as we have started having teenagers. And it's kind of like we're moving into those word problems. Like, why do I have to do this if that happens and they're doing this? And, and I find myself thinking, I got to have a formula for this somehow. I mean, like something needs to be multiplied times two, and, and, and it's challenging. And I was not equipped to, to navigate those kind of questions as a dad. Now, one of the things I will point out is that when I thought you were getting close to it, I put this formula up here. That's the formula for the last question. I didn't see many of you looking up. You were frantically trying to figure it out, and, and yet the formula was right here all, all along. It, it wasn't there before you needed it, about the time you needed it, and that's the way it's been for me as a dad so far. It seems like I'm not getting advanced shipments on any type of wisdom. It's kind of like you're right in the middle of it, and you look up, and there is an answer, and, and that is how it is in parenting. The Lord will give you answers for those tough questions, but you do need to stop frantically trying to figure it out on your own, look up, and the, the formula will probably be there. Uh, having children is easy. It's easy to bring them into the world. Um, you know, you look at, someone mentioned the, uh, you, you look at other, other, everybody looks like they're doing better than you are. And, and if you read some of these magazines and you open it up and there's a young family and they have perfect looking children and then they have five steps on how to raise a, a perfect family. And, and 
I, at this stage of my life, I cannot read those any longer. Um, it's beautiful, but it's not the experience that I have had in my life. It, it gets a lot more complex as time goes on. Um, the time element, the, to- the clock was ticking. I tried to get the loudest tick I could and then the most obnoxious ring because we feel that as dads. Everyone's telling you it's, they're growing up fast. You've only got a few more minutes. They're going to be out of your house. It's just a moment. And it's all true, but it doesn't really help me as a, as a man. I, I don't do well with, with, uh, with that. Um, but there is a time element. They do grow up and they do leave. Um, and so we need to use that wisely. Most of us don't do well under pressure. We, we make a lot more mistakes under pressure. Uh, think about that. How did you like being graded by your neighbor? Passing your scribbles off to someone else to look at. We are very arrogant. All of us are. We don't want people knowing how little we know about math. And I gave quite a bit of psychology at the beginning of it that sets you up for that. It's an easy test. It was put together by my children. People are good at math and all this stuff. And without even thinking, you were building this up in your head like this better be good. And then you had to give it to somebody else. What about having someone look into your home and talk about your parenting? Um, It's not easy. And, um, And I've had that and it doesn't always feel very good. How did you like having your grades put up? On, I mean, did, did anyone feel a little bit of shame or something when, when, when we saw that we were going to list names right up here? Okay, this is, the, this is, this is who gets 100%, you know, and, and, and some of you are thankful that I stopped right there and it didn't keep on going. But think about it in terms of your, of your child rearing. It's very public public information. Everybody's watching how you did with your children. And when you send out that Christmas picture that shows some children in that picture that you, you, that aren't going in the way you taught them, it's a very painful thing. Why? I wonder what the problem is there. Probably has an overbearing dad, never got a hold of his anger. I mean, I wonder what drove her away. The results are public. But yet, to some extent, to a large extent, we can't be driven by that. If we thought a lot about that, I think it would make us a lot less effective as parents. I want to show them the way home, and I don't want to be the stumbling block uh, in, their, in, their, uh, in their journey. Okay. One other question that I have for you is, why did you do the test on your own? Did I say anything about you have to do this on your own? The only thing I could think of was the issue around competition. You might have thought, well, if there's a competition, then that means I have to do it on. I said, use your resources. There was an accountant sitting right here in the room. Nobody got up and asked him. Why did you only think of the resources that you have? When you had, can you imagine if you would have taken those questions and said, okay, all right, let's all get together, divide them up. I'll do the first one, you do the second one. Kurt, do the last one, or Will, do the last one. 
Um, and, and together we'll do this. I just think so often in our fathering, we're just like, well, I've got to look at what I've got here. We're going to get this thing worked out. And why not ask other people how to get through the big challenges that you're facing and stop doing it all on your own? Okay, I'm way over time. Two minutes, I guess. Um, your children were placed in your home on purpose. You are the best dad and the worst dad that they're likely ever going to have. Accept that and, and move on beyond that. Um, you know, a lot of times, or the other point I want to make is, you're a work in progress. The Lord is growing you up along with your children. Sometimes I say, Lord, why did you grow me up first? Why didn't you give me children when I'm 60 and I actually know something? I argue with the Lord about those kind of things. And the, the answer is this. Part of your children's growing up is going to happen by watching God grow up you. By watching how you deal with your anger, your immoral, immoral issues, your, your issues with technology, uh, your issue with yourself. That's part of their lesson. Do your very best, but your children must choose God on their own. Love your children's mother. These are just some final thoughts. Love your ch children's mother like you want your children to love God. Show your children how to re properly respond to authority, especially authority that you believe might not be right or doing it right. A father's hypocrisy comes with a high price tag. Children see it without ever being taught to identify it. Be honest, be true, be faithful, be the same man at home as you are in public. When failures come, the desire to give up is real. Discouragements will come. That's a perfect time for reevaluation. Sit down and say, what am I doing wrong? And how can I be better? You were never meant to know it all. That's why you have the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, a wonderful wife, a church community, and many other things at your disposal. So use them in your child rearing. You certainly would if you were working on your car. You would use all available resources. Let's do it with our children. Your children will disappoint you. They may publicly humiliate you. They may walk away from everything that you have taught them. You did that to Jesus one time, and I did too, and he loved us anyway. And so um, let's continue on. Um, I want to end. There, there's so many other things I wanted to tell you. Um, one of them is this. Um, we need to be teaching our boys purity. Um, that's a challenging uh, conversation to have with young men as they're growing up. And then the other thing that we have to do is, is give our daughters a sense of security. There's a guy that comes into our office, and he always packs a pistol, and he walks with a strut, and he has this 16-year-old daughter, and, and, and all the language is, you don't dare touch my daughter, I'll kill you right on the spot. You know? and, and that's kind of how he, how he walks around. Well, she came in with, the other day with an STD. And, and I, I just thought, what happened here? She had like the biggest protector dad ever. And yet there was something missing that she sought fulfillment for. Very different than three girls that were in my home this past weekend. Uh, they're, they're daughters of a friend of mine, come out from Pennsylvania. And uh, as I come to say hello to them, they're at the house when I got home from work. Um, they said hello, and they said hello from, from my dad. And and the one girl said, should I tell him what dad said to tell him? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, it's so embarrassing. My dad said to tell you that you are a very lucky man to have us for this weekend. And uh, I just thought, oh, I just love that man, you know. Um, he loves his daughters. They, they, are, they know that he loves them. And uh, it just blessed me. So be a dad like that, that, that sends out your daughter's 
with that type of a message. You know, I am loved by my dad. And uh, anyhow, 